Hey, hey, happy Friday. Thanks for joining me on the Meg Ellison Show. My guest during this hour, Jessica McBride from Wisconsin right now. So you want to go through some of the fi- the 21 shocking findings about this report, Jessica? Sure. I mean, I, I think I pretty much kind of scattershot said a lot of them, but I can just sort of list. I mean, number one, I mean, they found that Biden had willfully willfully disclosed and retained classified information when he wasn't supposed to have it. The term willfully was actually used. So that's one point. Uh, The other point was just all the stuff on his memory. And so there's different, you know, in our list of 21, there's different sort of sections on that. But, you know, for example, you know, they they basically said he was so out of it that he, he can't be held criminally culpable because the jury might just find that he had, quote unquote, forgotten you know, that he had classified information in his house. Uh, he, he, he didn't remember when he was vice president. He didn't remember when his son, Bo Biden, had died. You know, key information like that he didn't remember. Another one of the shocking findings uh, was the fact that the ghostwriter that he shared classified information with had deleted audio files. Another finding is that the special counsel at one point did deem a statement by Biden to be not credible, not credible. So he's saying he's giving him a non-credible statement. That's sort of code speak for he's lying or misleading, lying to or misleading the special counsel. That was another one. Another one was just that they found that, you know, there's this past practice of presidents doing this where Ronald Reagan had classified information in diaries that he kept in his house and no one cared and everyone knew about it. And then the special counsel points out with the one exception of Trump, like nobody ever got charged for this. And that was actually one of the reasons he gave also for letting Biden off the hook on criminal charges. It's like, while well, other presidents did it and they never got charged. It's like, wait a minute, then why is Trump being charged? Like, why then is Trump being charged? Then, of course, and this is one of the 21, there's the sort of shocking quote, the money quote, so to speak, the quote everyone's using, where the special counsel said the jury would probably perceive Biden as a well-meaning old man with a poor memory. And it's literally what it says. And so he's like, well, we probably can't criminally charge him because we're not sure we can prove this beyond a reasonable doubt with the jury because they would find him to be these things, a well-meaning old man with a poor memory. Like, hey, Great campaign slogan there, Uncle Joe, you know. Um, another finding was that this, that some of the audio files could not be recovered that the ghostwriter had deleted. Uh, another example was Joe Biden actually admitted, and they have evidence of this, that he admitted you know, in the conversation with the ghostwriter that he found classified information you know, in his house at a time when he was not supposed to have it. So, you know, really, if you break it down, I think there's two different concerns here. One is how Joe Biden handled our government secrets, you know, how recklessly, quite honestly, he he willfully violated the law when it came to disclosure of and retention of classified information. I mean, there was one line in the report where it said he gave information about human intelligence sources to the ghostwriter. Like, how is that okay? I mean, it's obviously not okay. There are laws against it. He willfully violated them. The way that he just sort of arrogantly just regarded or handled our nation's secrets, that's sort of issue one. And then issue two is, again, the reason they let him off the hook for it, you know, citing all this stuff about his cognitive abilities, how he doesn't remember things. And one, one finding 
that I thought was interesting is they say that went back to 2017. So he was doing these interviews with the ghostwriter and sharing classified information with this ghostwriter back in 2017. And according to the special counsel, you know, because they, they recovered some of the audio that had been deleted. According to the special counsel, these audio recordings show that Biden had severe cognitive abilities even then. And I think that's kind of interesting because that was seven years ago, you know, and they, they, they had him run for president, you know, even with that going on already. So, so it's sort of the, the, the issues with how he handled our nation's secrets. Number two, the reason they gave to let him off the hook with the cognitive stuff. And then I would say number three, you know, how this just clearly, clearly highlights the selective prosecution going on against Donald Trump in this documents case with Jack Smith. I don't see how it can go forward. I don't see how it has any moral authority. If they go ahead now and they convict Donald Trump of felonies for really doing this, this, you know, sort of the same thing. Well, so for those that are defending Biden and and saying, um, you know, I I guess what I would ask them is, well, when I'll, I'll say it this way. For those that are defending Biden and claiming that he's, you know, as you, you used the example before we went to the break, Tony Evers. Oh, well, last, you know, when I talked to him, he, see, he seemed fine to me. You know, the, whatever, the various Wisconsin Democrats that have trotted out and defended his his uh, his cognitive abilities. Um, if, the, if those people believe that he is cognitively able to be president, well, then they should also agree that he shouldn't be let off the hook, right? And That's he, actually he should a great be, point. He should be prosecuted for uh, the the unwillingness to, or the the fact that he had these classified documents and then he spoke about them as he did. So That's a, I mean, actually a brilliant point. You, you, I mean, you have to come to the conclusion you just reached if you're following logic, right? Of course they're not, but what a brilliant point you just made. You don't get it both ways. Either he's so cognitively out of it, he's not criminal, criminally culpable, you know, or he or they're wrong and he he is cognitively OK, but then he should be criminally culpable. So then go ahead and charge him with crimes. Right. Yeah. Pick one. I mean, that's pick one. Yeah. Right. So. So before we run out of time, we were texting earlier in the day about SCOTUS. And, you know, I happen to see this uh, quote from Justice Samuel Alito who uh, smacked Joe Biden during this uh, Trump's 14th Amendment case. And this is what he says. Suppose there's a country that proclaims again and again and again that the United States is its biggest enemy, and suppose that the president of the United States, for diplomatic reasons, think thinks it's in the best interest of the United States to provide funds or release funds so that they can be used by that country. Could a state determine that person has given aid and comfort to the enemy and therefore keep that person off of the ballot? Yeah, right. Um, there were a lot of moments like that. That was yes. obviously a, a, a good one. So yesterday I was working on some stuff and Jim called me from Wisconsin right now, you know, my co-editor, and he said, turn on the oral arguments. You, you've got to listen to this. And, this and, and so it was live. So I listened. Yeah, this is and, what we do for entertainment, just, Jessica, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. We're pretty weird people. But um, it was it was absolutely riveting, though. And, and it actually restored some of my eroding faith in the institutions that are the framework of American democracy, because these Supreme Court justices are absolutely brilliant people. And the thoughtful, 
sort of discernment that they showed in trying to parse out the Constitution and what was really meant, you know, in this, you know, this provision about insurrection and how that relates to state versus federal power. And it's just such a high level of discourse, you know, in contrast to the typical just sort of bottom feeding political discourse that flies around social media. And it just it was really actually kind of um, heartening to listen to. But what what came across loud and clear is that the justices, certainly the conservatives, but even the the liberals, it appears some of them at least, they they're not they're going to strike down this Colorado thing, like it in Maine. It it seems pretty obvious from the questions they were asking that they're going to order that Trump go back on the ballot. And and I think one of the biggest concerns that they all had in totality. Is, is is that there's just no definition, for example, for what is even meant by an insurrection. And I think the quote you cited went to that point. And so they, they raised a lot of concerns about how different states could interpret, you know, what an insurrection is, all, all kinds of different ways. And that if this is allowed to stand, you would have no uniformity in this country. And you it would be a tit for tat, just a constant chaos cycle in which, you know, then other states would try to kick Biden off the ballot with various reasons. And they brought that up, you know, and like, oh, other states would go kick a different candidate off and it would just go on and on. And they said then a state like Colorado, they kick Trump off the ballot. They're affecting the whole country's rights. Like they're sort of affecting the right in a way of like every voter in the country when it comes to the presidency, you know, arguably. And so they raised a lot of concerns about that kind of thing, like uniformity. And then they seem to be headed in the direction of saying that that the, when this was written, you know, after the Civil War, it was intended, obviously, for Confederates. But it was intended that Congress have the authority over uh, on this provision. But they never enacted a mechanism to actually do it. Like, there's no there's no corresponding process or mechanism for how you would even deal with with this, if you found someone, you know, committed an insurrection. So they seem to be headed toward the direction of, you know what, this is Congress. This is the authority of Congress and the federal government, not of the states. And and I, I think that's where they're, they're going. I think that's where they're going with it. And I think you could even see a, a unanimous decision, actually, or minimally where a, where a couple of the liberal justices join the conservatives on this. And I hope they do, frankly and drive a stake in this 14th Amendment nonsense, you know, um, unanimously, because I think that would be really good for this country. I just wanted to say one other point, though. The fact that people are actually comparing Donald Trump, you know, tweeting that people should peacefully go to the Capitol after a legal rally, and they're actually comparing that to the, the Confederacy and, you know, Jefferson Davis and his organized Confederates is insane. Like, it's literally insane. It's insane. And Trump has never even been charged with insurrection. That's the point that justice has made, too. He, he's never even been prosecuted for it. So I, you were on a roll, so I wasn't about to interrupt you. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I, uh, this is very refreshing to see that this decision might be unanimous. And, uh, I mean, I see some of the assessment of uh um, of this, the discourse yesterday, and even Elena Kagan expressed strong doubts over 
uh, the Colorado argument, and then Kentaji, however you say her name, Jackson, she even sided with Trump. So, I mean, it was, I just hope that for those that have been, uh, you know, beating these narratives about Trump, I hope that it shuts them down, shuts them up. You know, I, I, I'm not sure everyone knows this, but this 14th Amendment nonsense actually incubated. It started with, you know, never Trump conservative lawyer, Michael Ludig, and another and like a law professor from Harvard. And they banded together and they concocted this outrageous 14th Amendment argument to try to, in my opinion, steal the right of Americans to choose whether or not they want to vote for Trump. You know, say what you want about Trump. I think it's even irrelevant. I, I respect the right of my neighbor to make their own decision about whether they want to vote for Trump or not. And the fact that these, you know, two, you know, legal scholars, one conservative, actually joined together to try to, you know, sort of, you know, feed this intellectual argument into the the bloodstream of our political discourse is, I think, terrible. It's terrible. Of course, then the left, you know, embraced it, right? I think they're about to get smacked down in a big way by SCOTUS. Now, for all those people that couldn't see a difference between Hillary and Trump, you know, back in the day, for all of those never-Trumpers, I would say U.S. Supreme Court, you know, wherever you think about Trump as president, he made generational change with his Supreme Court choices, and they were great choices. And that's his biggest legacy, in my opinion. And so for anyone going forward thinking for some reason that, oh, I'm still a never-Trumper, so I'm, I, I would rather have Biden or I'm going to vote third party, even though that'll hurt Trump. Think about SCOTUS again, right? I mean, think about the impact a president can have on the, on the U.S. Supreme Court and how incredibly important that is. Can you imagine if we didn't have the U.S. Supreme Court right now? Yeah, I mean, lifetime appointments. Let's remember that. Hey, I got to let you go. Gosh, great to chat with you. It was like Thursday, but even better Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes, you so much, yes. Jessica, Thanks, and, and we'll talk over the weekend. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Going to the 9 o'clock news, followed by my next guest, who happens to be in the house, Senator Cory Tomchek will be uh, smacking it down. Oh, I can't wait. Stay tuned on the Meg Elvishan Show after the 9 o'clock news on WSAU.